Hey everybody, this is The Smattering, where we ask the important questions about investing. I'm Jason Hall, and joined, as will be the norm around here, by the absolutely abnormal Jeff Santoro, voice of the people. Jeff. Voice hey, of buddy. the people. I, I agreed to that nickname. I'm not sure I agreed to abnormal, but it's fine. We'll roll with it. Okay. It's not, it's not always a bad thing. I'm not going to contextualize it, though. So. <laughs> All right. So we did an intro episode, Jeff. We talked about kind of what we're trying to do, our ambitions and goals, kind of define... Why am I saying kind of? I need to stop saying that one. So we were trying to, tried to define what the smattering will be. Right. So for this episode, and, and I think this is largely, Jeff, this is going to be what most of our future episodes are going to be like. We thought it would be interesting to actually do what we promised. I know that's crazy, but we're going to ask some of those important questions we, talk, we talked about so much. Um, let's, let's get started. I know, I know you've got one that you wanted to start us off with here. I do. I do. So, all right, this is sort of a big picture question, right? What's the most important investing question that you're still trying to answer here at this point in your life with all of your experience? Yeah, I, I love this question because it's one that, frankly, I think the most important question changes over time, you know? And that's one of the things I like about what we're going to do is a lot of these questions, we need to ask them over and over again. And for me at this point, so again, kind of to put some frames on this, where I am in my life, in my 40s, married, younger kid, net contributor to retirement, college to pay for at some point in the future, still have a mortgage, all of those kinds of things. So I think the biggest question I'm still trying to answer is what is enough, right? And, and, and that's a big, big question, right? Within what we're doing here, obviously it's going to be what is enough income is mm-hmm. a big one and specifically what is enough disposable income, right? And that informs, okay, well, how much do I need to save in those retirement accounts, right? Um, what do I need to invest in once I figure out what is that enough answer? What do I need to own? So I have that enough, right? Um, and I don't know, I guess to me, I think about that one because it also informs so many other things. You know, if you, if you get to a point where you really understand what is enough, not even the money part of it, but just the things that you want to do with your life, right? Do you, do you want to be somebody that travels, you know, lavishly? Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you're kind of in your post-earning periods, that means you're going to have to do less now, right? You're going to have to dedicate more of your, your disposable money to that, you know, to that future. You have to delay that gratification. Um, but if on the other side, if you kind of get to a pretty good frugal place where you're focused more on experiences and less on things, you know, life's a little simpler. Maybe, the, maybe that, that enough number is smaller and it's more attainable. So... I'm still just trying to figure out what the hell enough means for me. So you're still trying to figure that out, but I'm imagining you've given it a lot of thought already. So like, what are some places you've, or what are some things you've already figured out or calculations you've done, or I guess, where is your thinking on that question right now? I mean, you don't have to give, you know, specifics in terms of this many dollars or that many dollars, but you know, to get however much of that question you figured out so far, like how did you go about doing that? Like, so there's the dollars and then there's the percentages. And I think in most cases, like the percentages matter more, right? Um, 
because they're more relatable and they're more applicable. Right. Um, but I, I guess probably the, the, the short answer, the, the, the easiest, most digestible answer is thinking about, so um, I was a pretty active scuba diver for a number of years pre-kids when we were living in Southern California, uh, trained up through Dive Master, um, so work on, could work on boats and lead dives and you know, all that kind of stuff. We were, I was diving you know, multiple times a week for a number of years. And one of the things that you learn, I promise this ties in, this isn't just a totally random tangent here, Jeff. Well, no, I'm fine. One just, of the I'm going to call you Dive Master from now on, so this is fine. <laughs> Continue. So you only call me Dive Master when, when you look at my portfolio, but that's another <laughs> story. See what I did there? So well done. But one of the very first things you learn as a, as, a, as a diver, and then you take like rescue diver qu- uh, classes and some like, uh, emergency responder classes and things like that is you learn the first thing that you have to do in an emergency situation is be prepared to save yourself, right? Because if you can't save yourself, the potential tragedy of that one person whose life may be at risk immediately becomes two people's life who may be at risk, right? And applying kind of that same framework as a saver, as an investor, means that the first thing that I have to do is save myself so that those income and the earnings come in, my wife's income and earnings come in. And the first thing we do is make sure we have a safety net, right? Make sure we have savings for immediate risks, like the, the shit that comes out of nowhere, right? You, you, you crash your car, you, you, you break your leg, somebody gets sick, somebody loses a job, right? Those, those things that just kind of come out of nowhere and they can completely blow up everything that you've optimized because you haven't prepared for the unlikely risk that can be the most devastating. Right. Right. So kind of building the, the like we're and working backwards from there. Right. So, okay. So now we've kind of built up that emergency savings and then we s- save ourselves in retirement. Right. So start maximizing the amount of money your employer is going to give you. So if they're going to match up to 3% of your income or whatever it is in your 401k, you're an idiot for not at least, I don't care what, how terrible the funds that they offer um, in those things. You're doubling your money, right? They're doubling your, your money. I don't care how good of a stock picker you are, you, are, you can't beat that, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, By no, you putting take that, that money immediately, in yep. You take it, right? And then you get the tax advantages and all that stuff too, right? So that's all, so you do all, I do all that stuff first before I even think about my kid, right? Because at the end of the day, that means I'm going to be in a position I can help my kid more. Right. Um, and then you start thinking about legacy after that. Right. So if you do reach that point of wealth where you can give to charities, you can support the nieces and nephews that, you know, maybe their their parents haven't had the same economic um, success. Right. So, so you have to start there at the top with yourself and you have to be selfish about it. Right. Um, and, and that's so that kind of helps inform how I think about it. What, what about you? So what's what's your question? I think about that one a lot too, um, a lot. But just to not steal yours, I I think my more immediate. I'll talk about the long term thing, but my more immediate question is always about just sort of allocation, right? So I I'm every paycheck I'm putting money into my you know retirement account that's linked to my work, you know, uh, paycheck and all that, and that just goes into index funds, Vanguard funds, and then I buy. Uh, weekly stocks. And my kind of short term question is always, you know, so if I get a pay raise or 
I come across a little extra money, do I buy more stocks or do I put it into that quote unquote safer set it and forget it index fund? Um, and we can talk more about that, you know, later or in a future episode, but I, I want to kind of come back to this, what is enough question? Because for me, I, I, t- I went about it a little bit differently. So for the, for the longest time when I was younger in my working career, you know, my wife and I, we, we just kind of did a little bit of all the things, right? So we put a little bit towards building a, a safety net, like an emergency fund. We put a little bit mm-hmm. towards 529 plans for our two kids. Um, my wife did her employee match right off the bat immediately. She was smart and knew to do that. Um, and every time she gets a pay raise, she bumps that up a little bit. Um, you know, the, the contribution level, I mean, and I put a very tiny amount for a long time into my retirement account. And that's sort of what I'm trying to catch up from later, you know, now, because I right, put enough right. in when I was in my twenties. Um, but you know, I also have a pension coming. So I, I have a com- more complicated sort of calculation to kind of figure out like that, what is enough number because I'll have income from a, a bunch of different places in retirement. So I actually need to, and I haven't done it yet, just sit down with a professional, you know, pay somebody to kind of look at all right. of the things and, and help me figure out uh, moving forward sort of where, where I need to be allocating and how I need to be allocating. Um, it's interesting that you, you brought up the whole take care of yourself first thing because I have thought about that in, in terms of like how much to save for my kid's college. Um, yeah. But – you know, I, I have a fourteen. I want to contextualize that because I think it's, it's 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 you know with because I think with with what you were saying, I want to be clear here. It's it's I, I, it's not like I'm sitting back and saying, okay, I'm not going to put any money in my kids' five twenty nine or Coverdell or whatever until I get to this point of retirement. I'm I'm not doing that. We we can do more than one thing at a time. Yeah, yeah. it's about prioritizing. Right. Things. Yeah. Well, I know, and I, I know, I know you're putting stuff away, but I, I, I do think about that too. Like to my earlier point about allocation, right? When I have, when I get a raise, or my wife gets a raise, or we have a little extra money, like I do sometimes think, like I have a 14 year old. Should I put more into his 529 at this point? You know, because I'm only a few years away from paying for college. Or at this point, is it sort of like, I know I don't have enough to pay for the whole thing, so I just kind of let sleeping dogs lie and pay for the rest later. You know. Um, Right. But again, this is this is I think the value of this conversation is somewhere, hopefully, there's a listener who is twenty-two and just got their first job out of college. And I just hope, Jeff, that someone have a listener. listener. <laughs> All right, let's let's Yeah. So, but no, to your point, right? The, the the idea is that it gets people thinking about these things. And these are questions you have to ask. You you, you don't ask it one time and that's your answer f- until you retire. You know, you have to ask yourself these questions every year right. or every time there's a change in your life, right? You get a promotion, you change jobs, right? You have to regularly be asking yourself this this stuff. I, I think that's the important part. You do. But I also think, you know, you know, we're not giving advice here. Nothing we say is advice. But two things that I've heard other people who are smarter than me, who know more about this say, that I think are worth remembering if anyone listening is in that position of not starting yet, is... Start. Start, right? And you can always add, subtract, adjust later. And I think that if I were starting over, if I were advising, I'll use my own son as an example, right? So let's say, you know, handful of years from now, he's out of college and has a job. What I would probably tell him is, you know, aim for investing a percentage of your income as a start. 
and then sort of figure out, like, if you just do that immediately, pick a number, 10%, 15%. Those are two numbers I hear thrown around a lot as like good amounts to sort of save. Um, then you, you could do just that for 10 years and then have a more involved plan as you get older and get married and have kids, whatever. And you're going to be off to a much better start than I was. Cause I never thought in percentages when I was younger, it was like, Oh, here's yep. a, here's yep. a dollar amount. I'll just put it. And then I forgot about it for a decade, <laughs> you know? So right. Right. start, right. pick a, pick a percentage and, um, you can sort of figure out the rest as you go. I got a, I got a question for you, Jeff. Yep. And we talked about this a little bit already, but let's retirement. That's the big one, right? That's the one that I think most of us are investing for. Um, how, how do you decide how much money you'll need when you retire? So again, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier, where I, for me personally, like I do need to sort of have, you're, you're kind of already maxing out what you're putting aside. Right. Yeah. Like there's not a whole lot more I could put away right now because I am sort of trying to play catch up a little bit. Um, but that's a unique circumstance to me. Um, but, but you're also not a fire advocate, you know, financial independence, retire early where, you know, you're, you're living off of ramen noodles and you, well, all dads go around behind their kids turning off lights complaining, but like you're, 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 you're not living this ultra frugal life as a hyper saver. You're still going on vacation right. and your kids are going to camp and playing sports and like you go out to have dinner with your wife. Uh, right. So, I mean, you're still living a normal life. Yeah. I would say in terms that of that way. And you just, you're just, you're just maxima- maximizing like that disposable income correct. that you can put aside. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, so, and I think that's, you know, we, I, I talked about this a little bit on the first episode, but one of the things that I've sort of evolved on and I've had to sort of, um, figure out and change my thinking on is I'm, I'm more of a natural saver than I probably should be. And I've been thinking a lot about having to be able to do both plan for the future and also like not deprive not only myself, but my family of like doing things now, because I'm a little bit more of an introvert and happy to stay at home, but I live with three other people who want to do things. So, you know, I, that's a constant kind of balance that I need to get better with, you know, let's do a vacation this summer while my kids are this age, because they're only going to be this age now, you know, and then, because I don't want to get to the point where I'm, you know, old and rich, let's just be hopeful. Looking back at like, oh, I should have, should have taken my kids more places when they were younger and now they're off on their own, you know? So that's a balance. Um, I, so I, I don't know for me how much is going to, what that number is yet. I'm still struggling with that if I'm going to be honest. Um, you know, and I think part of it, and this is something everyone has to think about is like, I don't know how long I want to work. I don't know how long I want to have the option of not work, you know, what age I want to have that option. Um, yeah. And that's a big part of it. So like if I, I work in education, I can take my pension at 55, so if I want to step away from that profession and do something different at that point in my life, that's a different calculation for me than mm-hmm. if I want to keep working in my current profession past 55 or how much I want to do after 55 versus, you know, full-time, part-time, nothing. Um, and, and I think that's the struggle that I think a lot of people might deal with is like, how long and what do you want to do after? Like, do you want to have the kind of retirement where you're just playing golf? Do you want to volunteer? Do you want to get a part-time job? Um, so I don't know. I don't. I don't know how you think about that. You know, you and I have different, you know, circumstances. Well, there's, there's one thing you said there that I want to. I want to 
hit on. Um, one of my neighbors, Steve, is his name. Um, he's in his early 60s. He and his wife are relatively recent empty nesters. They have a son who's early 20s, still kind of comes around every so often. Um, but for the most part, they've like reached that point in life where retirement's just around the corner. Um, I was talking to Steve a month or so about kind of that journey. And what he said, I think, was really profound. And he said that until he figured, he knows what he's retiring from, but until he figures out what he's retiring to, he's not going to be ready to retire. Yeah. And I think that's so important because here's the bottom line. Most of us, we, even if we have a job that maybe we don't necessarily love it, we become, like we, we have a lot of self-identification with, with our work, right? With the purpose that we get, with our success there, with our standing, with our peers and our colleagues, and a lot of times those peers and, and colleagues, that's, that, that becomes our social group by default. Mm-hmm. And when we, when we retire from that, you don't just leave the job, right? You leave a pretty big chunk of your life. So that like, to me, a big part of that, that was, you know, figuring out the, the enough part and thinking about how much money you're going to need in the income is, is knowing what you're going to retire to, right? <laughs> what are you going to do with the rest of your life, right? Right. Um, and I think a lot of people make the mistake of they're so ready to get away from, you know, the rat race or, or whatever it is. They, they forget about the fact that they're going to be going into an empty house and, you know, they, they need something to do. I'm sorry, but you, you think you can play golf every day and you'll be perfectly happy. And that's great for a few months. And then you're like, this is no, this is not fulfilling. So anyway, that's that's like when I think about it. That's, that's what I do. But like trying to figure out that how much number, and there's formulas and shit out there, right? I'm not going to bore anybody with right. like some of that. But I will say like basically I think the goal is like they say most retirement planners will say you need 80%. So I just lied. I just said I'm not going to give any numbers and here's a number. <laughs> most retirement planners will say you need 80% of your earnings right before you retired. And that 20% is the amount that you should be saving, right? So basically – the income that you should derive from all your retirement should be about 80% of what you were earning before you retired. But it's, I mean, there's all kinds of shit that can make it the answer different for different um, people in different situations. Yeah. Um, and, you know, another big thing is what will your expenses be whenever you step away from your full-time oh, yeah. employment, right? So if you're going to move to a lower, uh, a less expensive part of the country, um, or if you're going to downsize your house, or if you're not, you know, that, that can play a large part in it. Um, but I think too, like, um, to your earlier point about like, what are you going to retire to, to me, that number doesn't mean when you, like you said, it doesn't mean when you can stop working. It means when you can have the choice to do whatever, to do whatever work you want to do that, right. That's what financial freedom for me is always about. It's about the choice, you know, like I, I would love to, I'd love to play golf a couple times a week, but I also wouldn't mind doing something I find fulfilling, even if it's 20, 30, 40 hours a week. But it's not, but then I also want the option at some point to be like, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> and I can just stop. Right. <laughs> so really I'm thinking we should do one more, one more thing here on this second episode. Okay. And that okay. is, we, we had talked about, in addition to asking these questions and sort of talking through them and hoping, hope, hopefully help other people think through them. We want to also occasionally talk about what's going on in the markets and in, in the world of investing and, and sort of kick around whether or not 
it's 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 if it's news that really matters or not, right? So, this, like news news or noise, news or noise, like. yes. Um, so this week's been really busy. Lots of big tech companies reporting earnings, um, and uh, today we're recording Friday. The jobs report came out, and it was pretty much a blowout, right? Uh, the U.S. essentially recaptured all of the jobs lost during the pandemic. Um, I think it was the, the the it was double what people were projecting, right? Um, 528,000 jobs. Right. Of course, this is subject to revisions as they always. Right. Yes. Always but regardless, are, but it was better than we're people basically, were we're basically back to We're basically back to February 2019. Yeah. Yep. Right. Um, February 2020. February 2020. But now here we are. Stocks are down to flat. Uh, we're, it, it's 1120 in the morning, so we're a couple hours into the market day. Um, so the question then is, so how important is this macro financial stuff, Jason? Like, you know, quarterly earnings and 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 on the macro stuff, what the, the unemployment rate and what the Fed does, all that. You know, how how do you think about that in terms of like actionable news for for investors or for your investing? Yeah, it's. I think this is the thing that more people waste more time trying to figure out and look for an edge than absolutely anything else. Right. Does it, does it matter? Of course it, of course it matters broadly. Right. Um, I guess I think most of it's just largely noise. I, within the context of, again, I'm looking at all this through the lens of being a 40 something guy with a solid, um, solid income and not substantial risk of, of income losses. Right. And thinking about, thinking about it from that perspective and being relatively anti-fragile with good savings and that kind of stuff. Um, and I also think, again, as, as thinking about it as an investor, you said you're a saver. I'm a spender, right? I am absolutely a spender. Um, and my, the, the thing that I've leveraged with that as an investor is my spending is investing. Yeah. Right? I stopped, right? <laughs> That's how I've become um, the last couple of years. <laughs> I've, I've totally shifted it away from other crap, even though Amazon gets way more of my money than they need. But that's another story for another show. Um, I, I look at these things where we have stuff like, a great jobs report and the market shits the bed. It's like, okay, you know what? This is an opportunity because I'm a net contributor. I'm buying. Yeah. Did I buy this same thing a few months ago and now it's trading for 10, 15, 20 or more percent less. Okay. All right. That's fine. I didn't buy it back then to sell it now. You know, in the intro we talked about stocks as a tool. The tool that stocks are is a long-term generator of wealth creation, right? You buy, you, you buy a, a good company that's well run, they're going to grow the business, they're going to generate more cash flow per share. And, and as an investor, I profit from that because the market's going to value the business up more over time because of that, right? So that short-term volatility to me, I don't try to get it perfect. And then if the market gives me a chance to buy more, I just, I buy more of good companies because there's temporary stuff going on that everybody's freaking out. That's somebody else's game. That's the traders on Wall Street. That's, that's the, 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 the sell-side analysts that are they're making these quarter-to-quarter calls on stock prices or year-to-year calls on stock prices, right? That's, I'm not playing their game, right? I'm not going to get caught up in their game. My goal, my game is my understanding my financial goals, right, when they occur, and then owning the right things to help me get to them. And again, because of where I am in my life, all this shit's noise that can create opportunity thinking about it as an investor, right? So that's, that's kind of how I think about it. What about you, Jeff? No, I agree. Um, <clears throat> You know, it's like one of the things that helps me a lot with investing is to think through um, 
if it were this simple, there'd be a lot more billionaires, right? So right. If, if investing was as simple as the jobs report's good, the job report is bad, the Fed raised rates, the Fed lowered rates. If it were as easy as take that input and buy or sell, someone would figure it out. Some computer would spit out an algorithm and average people, a lot of them, would be very, very wealthy. Um, now, that's not to say there aren't some people who probably can and do that and become very wealthy, but I think it's not most of us, and most of us don't have the time, energy. Well, and, mo- and most of us have to do something else to earn money. Right. And then we get a little bit of extra money that we can invest, and we don't have the time to dedicate to do what you're talking about. Right. right? So that's not the that's, game. That's reality. That's not the game I'm playing. That's not the game you're playing. Right. So to me, yeah. all, all of the macro stuff is noise to the extent that if you have, if you own good companies, or hell, if you just own an index fund, right, you're you you're gonna get and you dollar cost average into it every pay period or exactly. every month or once a quarter, whatever your cadence is. You know, maybe you overpay, like we saw so many stocks at the beginning of the year, but then you're still buying. Right? Yeah. You're still buying through the downturn, right? And it, and it, it it works out. Yeah, like I've overpaid for my for my index funds at certain points. And I I also know that when when that paycheck hit in March of 2020, I was getting a really good deal. (laughs) You know, so um, it all it all equals out. All right, people, here's our here's our disclaimer. Uh, Neither Jeff nor I are qualified to be giving a single person on this planet financial advice. If you're coming to us for advice. Yeah, own your decisions. You can do it. We have faith in you. See you next time. See ya.